and I'm understanding a little bit more about why it, it has happened. And I don't want to sound like I'm preachy. I want to sound, this is a journey of discovery for me because I want to act and I can't act when I'm paralyzed and hate makes me paralyzed, period. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Lorna Davis is back after one of the longest challenges that anyone's taken. It's just over a year since last year, December 5th. She gave herself a challenge to go one year buying no new clothing. Those of you who have heard me speak a lot have heard she's one of the people that I talk about the most, even though I haven't heard how it's gone because she and I are in touch and she's been telling me about it all the time. And you'll hear as we speak about it, the ways that we've interacted over this fun project of hers. Does it sound fun to go for a year without buying clothes? Listen to hear how it was, relieving and so forth. We become friends through this challenge. I mean, I think we would have become friends otherwise. We met through previous guests, Tansi Whelan, who heads NYU Stern, the School of Business, their sustainable business program, and Vincent Stanley, who's a director at Patagonia. So we would have been friends otherwise, I'm pretty sure. But this really brought us closer. And I want to remind you that she is from the C-suite of Danone, which is a $30 billion company. She's just retired, but she was the senior advisor to the CEO. And before that, she ran, I think, Kraft China as the president or CEO. She's a, a woman with a lot of authority and huge experience. If there's anyone who could say that she needs clothes for her role, it could be her. But you'll hear how things went otherwise. Did I mention she also helped Danone USA to become the largest ever B Corp? So we talked about B Corps a lot last time. If you haven't learned about those, listen to the past episode, but also learn about them. And also in the past roughly week, her TED Talk has gone live. And in roughly a week, it's almost a million views. I hope that this gives context to this woman and the challenge that she's taken on in the roles that she has in the world. So let's listen to Lorna. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Lorna Davis. Lorna, how are you? I'm good, Josh. How are you? I'm very good. And most people, when I have them on the second time, I haven't spoken to them. And I start off because I'm very curious to hear. You, on the other hand, picked an over, well, it's been a little over a year, a year plus a couple of weeks. And we've been in touch the whole time. And I've been hearing about you taking your challenge and passing it on to others and others and others. But I haven't actually had the whole story of like how the year has gone. Actually, can you remind us what was your challenge and how did it go? Oh, so my challenge was to not buy any clothes or shoes for a year. And how did it go? Well, you know, it's kind of funny that you ask it like that because it's a little bit like saying, you know, how is it to be a human really? It feels like really obvious now. What were you like before? What was clothing for you before and buying clothing? Well, 
I, I wouldn't have thought of myself as being a, a kind of fashiony person, but the thing that has struck me since we made that deal or I made that commitment to you, but it wasn't really to you, it was to myself, is the enormous sense of relief that I feel mm-hmm. at not having to even look at clothing or shoes. And so I was curious that the experience that I've had has been relief, mm-hmm. not joy, not sadness, a relief. And so I, I've been thinking, why, why relief? Mm-hmm. Because, because it seemed, struck me as odd. And I realized that I felt a sort of internal pressure to consider new clothing and shoes automatically. With- yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, why was that? I don't know. But all I know is it's gone now. Do you remember how soon that started kicking in? The next day, really. Yeah, so we spoke for first on December 5th. So December 6th, you were feeling relief? Mm, well, on December 6th, I was, in fact, as I walked away from this apartment, I walked past a shop and thought, oh, thank God, I don't have to look in that shop. Uh-huh. I wouldn't have called it kind of relief. It just was like, I just noticed that's what I thought. And then in the days leading up to Christmas, I had that feeling more and more because people were kind of shopping mm-hmm. a lot around me. I was like, oh, great, I don't have to go in that shop. Oh, great, I don't have to go in that shop. And the thing that made it odd was just noticing that apparently I used to think that I was supposed to go in that shop. Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? So it was kind of like an underlying part of my conditioning that I hadn't even noticed mm-hmm. until, until I made that choice. This is something that I read a long time ago when I first started reading, learning about systems thinking and system theory, systems behavior. Usually when you're in a system, you don't notice it. You just think that that's the way we are, you know, fish in water. And it said, one of the ways to tell that you're in a system is if you feel compelled to do things. And what you're saying sounds like that. Yes, it's actually a really good way of, of describing it. And what's been very interesting for me is the only item of clothing that I have been looking at and thinking this is not, you know, designed to last is underwear and socks, which are clearly in general not designed to last. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that I look at and think I need to buy some new ones of those at some point. Mm -hmm. But every other item of clothing in my life has got lots more going in it. Mm -hmm. And so the notion of that kind of compulsion that you're talking about has got nothing to do with utility, Mm -hmm. clearly. And what was really interesting for me is that I would have thought that I was not a clothing or fashion-y kind of person, as I said at the beginning of this, but clearly that system had me enmeshed in it anyway. And now I feel this like, yay. The word that I use, I use liberation a lot. I feel liberated mm-hmm. from compulsion, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that kind of fits with you too. Yeah, it feels like a similar thing. Sometimes I talk to people, yeah, I was one guest recently that I interviewed and I told them beforehand, you know, with guests, you don't have to do it, but if you're up for it, I'll ask you to walk through a valley. And he goes, look, I'm already doing everything I can. <laughs> And I could tell that he hadn't gotten what you have, which is this, to me, it's, it's a liberation from things. It's like, I'm or, it's like saying I'm already too free or, but 
that's what it sounds like to me. But from his perspective, it's like, look, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. I got, I, look, I got straws covered. I'm, I'm already, you know, avoiding driving. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, that's still, they're still in the system that you. Yes, but it's, what's interesting for me is that there's something different that, because when you say the liberation thing, theoretically, I don't get it either. But what I do get is what you say a lot at other times, which is just try something and then see, mm-hmm. because then you'll see what you'll see. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, your story about, you said, I think I'll just go like a week without packaged food. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, well, what did I discover there? Oh, well, I think I'll, you know. And so I think that the just try something, short. Anybody can do anything for a week mm-hmm. or a day or whatever and then see what you see and then feel what you feel. And, yes, liberation is a is kind of a grown-up word. I don't and that's sort of, I know what you mean. It's not a word that I would use, but I really get it. What's interesting for me has been uh, the impact on other people, which I, I want to talk about. But the other thing is how, you know, that guy said, you know, he's got straws covered and doesn't have a car and all that. I get it. What I've noticed is I've added a bunch of those other things since the clothing thing. On your own? Just- yeah, yeah. Because then it seemed... So that bag that I have, which is really old, the handbag, it's also kind of big. So it means that I can carry my water bottle and I can also carry a cup to put coffee in and I can also carry a spare fork and a spare knife, plastic, because I do find that sometimes I go into government buildings and I get upset if I have metal things in my bag. So I've kind of been experimenting with stuff in my bag, but I get a kitchen sink in there these days. Yeah, you go camping. Yeah, which is cool, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so is that further, was it not liberating, uh, relieving? Is it like, is it like when you put stuff in, are you like, ah, oh, this no, is going to be fun. more relief? It's oh, fun. It's yeah. what you, it's, it's also what you say, that it's fun. It's not a disadvantage. I mean, I am super proud when I go, oh, excuse me, I've got my whatever it is. I feel like I'm, I feel like Mary Poppins, you know, like I got that bag. Uh-huh. with a bunch of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hold on a second. I'm sure I've got something in here. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I've got, it's become hilarious now that I've got this really, really ancient Ziploc bag that I carry around. And as you know, something I'm like a, this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As you know, I'm a vegan and yet I've got a dog. And so I go to restaurants and apparently people leave chunks of meat on their plate. Mm-hmm. And so I just, pick it up and put it in my little bag and take it home to my extremely happy dog. People think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. And my dog thinks it's fabulous. And delicious, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, so it's all good. And it's like, I'm like, I wonder what else I can put in my bag that I, that I didn't use. And, and by the way, I must tell you one really funny thing is that my, uh, my Ugg boot zip broke. Yes, you texted me a picture of it. I did. Mm-hmm. And that was hilarious. So my Ugg boot zip breaks and I was on my way to an important meeting. Old me mm-hmm. would have nipped into the nearest shop and bought a pair of new boots because I was going to a pretty important meeting. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to have to find a way because I can't get these repaired in time for the meeting. But in my bag, I had a canvas carry bag. Mm-hmm. And so I used that. I tied a little knot in it and like, tied up my boot Mm -hmm. and then 
hopped into the meeting or sort of, you know, shuffled into the meeting. It was a great subject of conversation. Uh People thought it was hilarious. Nobody thought I was a bad person because I had a, you know, old canvas bag wrapping up my boot. So, hey, it's kind of been fun in all sorts of areas. This is a trend that I consistently see that when people, before they do it, they generally don't think about it. When, if they think about it and try to plan it, then they come up with, well, what if I go into a board meeting and on the way something breaks and I got to get something new, then I'm going to be stuck. But if they actually commit, and you, you said to do something, I want to go one step before that. Do something based on what they care about, based on something that that person cares about. If I had told you without asking first, what, is it, what does the environment mean to you? If I just said, go without a year, go without new clothes for a year, then you would have committed to me I might have gotten compliance. It might have worked. But I wouldn't have known to go for that one. How would I know that? So when people say, like, go without straws for a while, I'm not saying don't listen. But if it starts with an internal value and then you act on that internal value, I think it works. I think that's not necessary, but it, it makes it work. That's true. Although I would build on it a little bit and say, you don't even have to really care much. It just seems to, it just needs to be a good enough idea to give it a go. Like if you'd said to me before, how much do I care about that? I would have gone, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But like you challenged me to think about something and I thought, oh, I could do that. So it was kind of the level of commitment, the level of kind of passion behind that choice is relatively small. Mm-hmm. The fun came after starting it. So, I mean, I think people are different and some people have higher levels of caring than others. That pattern that first, I don't want to do it or it's too much work. Then if they start, if it's really coming from something inside, whether big or small, but something at least with some modicum of caring that they came up with it, then it's like, oh, what would I do? And then the challenges become almost always fun and or community and connection. That's what I heard happening with you with Boots. People are like, what's going on? And you're like, well, yeah. And you, you've been sending me a steady stream, or at least telling me about two dozen, three dozen people yeah. that have also picked up, and they, they seem to really like it too. Yeah, that's true. I, I, that's really surprised me because I've sort of told it to people in conversation, and I have been stunned at how many people said, oh, cool, I'm going to join you, really stunned. And they have had the same feeling of, I wouldn't call it relief because I haven't had like in detail conversations with them, but nobody has said, oh, I cracked and I bought something, you know. Mm -hmm. The thing that I have had happen, and and it points to your community thing, is people helping each other out. So that's been the big thing for me is that, so I I had a birthday last month Mm -hmm. and I was away and I didn't have a pretty dress mm-hmm. and you know I might not be that much into fashion but I'm a girl and I like a pretty dress so my best friend and my sister both came to me with great big smiles and said we've got a dress one in one case of one dress and the other in the, in the case of the other shirt and trousers not new theirs Mm-hmm. that they either wanted to give me or wanted to lend me mm-hmm. because they wanted me to have something pretty. And um, in the case of my sister, she gave me a dress that she had bought, didn't like, thought it would suit me, gave it to me, 
because she wanted me to feel nice on my birthday. But she was also relieved because she'd bought something she didn't like. And now I had it. Mm-hmm. And how does it happen? I love it. And so that sort of sense of people getting together to help each other out, I think is happening more and more in this game. It's certainly happening with me. So, for example, a friend of mine came from Texas and I said to her, well, you know, she said, I need to buy a coat. No, you don't need to buy a coat. I got a cupboard full of coats. Everybody in New York's got a cupboard full of coats. You're probably secretly thinking, oh, good, I can get rid of another coat. Well, actually, not to get rid of, just lend to her. Put to use. And put to use for everybody else who comes. So she came to my house. She rifled through the socks, gloves, hats, scarves, box that most of us have. Mm-hmm. She took the coat that she liked, the hat that she liked, and she happens to have the same shoes as me, so borrowed a pair of shoes as well. So, I mean, I would never have done that before. I would have said, oh, there's this really cool shop down the road that's got, you know, coats. Or I would have said, go on the Patagonia website or whatever I would have said. Mm-hmm. So I think in, in a way everything changes. I want to go back again to you before this. So say on December 4th of last year, someone had asked you, what would happen if you tried to go for a year without buying any new clothes? Mm, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I guess I would have been resistant because I don't like people telling me what to do. So I think that's, I mean, I may have been, may have been resistant. I don't know. It just never have, would never have occurred to me. I would never have thought about it. Yeah, one of the main goals of this podcast is to bring on people. There, I, I believe there are virtually zero role models among well-known people. I mean, everyone knows someone who's doing something. But if you look at politics or sports or arts or culture, I don't really know many people are doing this. And all it takes is you doing it. If you had said to all the people, the people that were influenced by you, that you've led, if you were not doing it and you said to them, why don't you guys go for a year without clothing? Without buying new clothes. Well, I don't know, but that's what, I mean, you spoke about that in your podcast the other day. Like, everybody's big on advice, but nobody's, I mean, nobody listens to anybody who just gives advice. I mean, we're interested in sharing. I heard a great expression yesterday, which really resonated with me, which is mostly people are comparing their realities rather than having a meeting of the minds. And, you know, the, the number of times I hear you know, one person explaining their view of reality. I mean, there is no reality except the one we make up, right? So one person going, I think, blah, blah, blah. Another person going, well, I think, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I ain't going nowhere with that. Mm -hmm. We're just, like, comparing realities. But there's a moment where our minds actually connect. And generally the place of that is very basic or very spiritual, And at the very basic, we connect in day-to-day habits. You mean like sharing clothes? Yeah, like like sharing meals, like sharing, like exercising, like walking, like being normal humans, just doing human things and sharing our experiences of being normal and human. And I think we, we get ahead of ourselves, really. We get really philosophical. We get very intellectual. And all of that is just sharing realities that's not meeting minds. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that you felt the way you did before about clothing? About I mean, you said it's not intrinsic to you, and yet you felt that way. I had never thought about it. I was in the system, fish done to water. I thought that I was supposed to have new stuff all the time. I thought that I was supposed to go into shops and be kind of fashionable. 
or go online. And I, was, I thought I was supposed to care. And so I kind of did what people do when they care, apparently. I had never thought about it, really. And so where did the messages come from? I, I assume it, it, something inculcated it into you, if that's the right word. Yeah, I don't know. But if you take, um, you know, I just did a TED Talk and I started the TED Talk by saying it was a brand new pink suit. And the reason I started it there was that for decades of running businesses, every single important meeting that I had, I thought I had to buy a new something. Why? I don't know. I mean, I thought I had to buy a new something because I had to symbolize how important this thing was by something new. And I would say, oh, I've got a meeting with the board. I'm going to go and buy a new dress. Mm-hmm. Why I had equated importance with a new item of clothing mm-hmm. completely mystifies me. But I had somehow jammed those two things together. And now they aren't jammed together. <laughs> There's no connect- There's clear- there was never any connection, but somehow I had them connected. So the question is, how did that happen? I don't know. I mean, People would even say it, like even for my birthday, I have had people say, I don't think they said it this time, but I've had people say, so what are you wearing? Mm-hmm. No, like, what, are you going to buy something new for your birthday? Uh, no. Like, why? Why? But people say that. It's kind of part of popular culture, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to explain. And yet there's also messages out there of like, don't do those things, but people don't connect. That doesn't feel as comfortable. I think the messages of like, oh, you know, that pollutes, try not doing that. People are like, don't tell me what to do. But if it's like, oh, you have something big coming up, buy a new dress. People are like, oh, I guess I should. It's weird how one connects to the other. Of course, there's been thousands of years of refinement of that message of how to make people want stuff. And maybe a decade, maybe a generation or two of people saying, maybe, let's, well, I don't know. It's been gone for a long time to, for people to say, enjoy what you have. You know, wealth is not how much you have, but how much you don't need or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I also think... Maybe, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, it's just hard work for me to drag this out of my brain or out of my wondering is, you know, it used to be when I was young, it used to be um, a kind of place of connecting with my buddies. You know, I used to get together with my other girlfriends and we would go shopping together and we would discuss what we'd bought and we would discuss what celebrities were wearing and would that suit us? And we would discuss, you know, what was the season And so it had become a kind of a conversational content and we would try on our new clothes in front of each other and, you know. Mm -hmm. So I guess it had become grist for the sort of relationship mill in a way. Mm -hmm. And now we have other things to talk about. I have other things to talk about. Yeah, it makes me think of how I, it was, if someone was like, let's meet, I think the natural thing was to think of the latest bar or restaurant. Yeah. Maybe cafe. And meet there. And now the natural thought is come on over for famous no packaging vegetable stew. And it's much more intimate. I've had something like in the past month and a half, I probably had at least 20, maybe 30 people over for dinner. And I've spent way, and all of that feeding all these people, I probably spent less than I would have had in one meal for myself out. Not that cost is the issue. And I also save time. But most of all, the intimacy is greater. They're in my home. And they're, the guard lets, is let down. There's not all the loud music. They're not trying to turn the, you know, they're not trying to empty the table for the next person. And the food is all from local farms and all that. And it feels like, you know, clothing was never a big thing for me. I wouldn't go shopping with my buddies to like talk about what the celebrities were wearing, but it feels like there's a similar parallel there. Yes. And I think 
actually, you're, you're making a broader point, I think, around the building of intimacy, uh, the building of relationship, the building of connection. I remember kind of choosing to stop gossiping, which kind of happened incrementally for me because I realised I had got into a habit of kind of being bitchy about other people as a way to build a fake intimacy with a person that I was gossiping with. Mm-hmm. And it really is fake uh, because, of course, underlying that is, you know, she's gossiping about them, she's going to be gossiping about me next. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of low-quality conversation. It's kind of like the McDonald's of a conversation. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the people who like McDonald's, but it's kind of like low-nutrition-value conversation. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I lost my taste for it. I don't want to have that kind of conversation anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the same is true on fashion stuff. I mean, when I was a youngster, it was cool for me to discuss whether, you know, you're going to wear these shoes or those shoes. I've now lost my taste for that kind of conversation. And so there's no point in bringing anything into that conversation anymore. So I guess things drop away. I mean, on the subject of restaurants, there was a time when I used to discuss what was big in new restaurants. Mm-hmm. Lost my taste for that conversation as well. <laughs> what would happen then if someone came to you and said, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said, let me tell you all about it. Or what if someone came to you and said, hey, there's a sale at Macy, whatever. Want to go shopping? How does that make you feel? Oh, I would just politely decline and offer an alternative. How does it make you feel though? Oh, great, fine. It's just not my choice. I wouldn't feel icky. I just feel like, oh, it's not my thing. Okay. Go for it. Yeah, to me, if someone comes to me and offers, like, if someone wants to take me out to a nice restaurant that I know is going to be salt, sugar, fat-based, yeah, I guess I'd, I'd decline. If someone, I mean, the flying, if someone says, do you want to go for a flight someplace? I'm like, all I can think, it's disgusting to me now. And I don't know, sometimes, I don't know what's going to happen if someday something happens, I'm like, that's worth flying for. What if, well, I know what I'll feel like, which is that the IPCC recommendations do allow some flying, but I mean, you can stay below the limits and still fly. But, oh yeah, I was out dancing with a friend to a DJ that I used to like way back when. And we're out on the dance floor and he disappears for a second, comes back and he, he's got a water, he's got two water bottles, one for himself and he hands me a water bottle. And I look at him like, he could have handed me a cigarette. And I, if, or more importantly, he could have handed me a cigarette in, in like a kindergarten room full, full of like, five-year-old kids. That's what I felt like. I'm like, I'm not going to touch that. Like the idea of drinking from that bottle to me, it, it was, it wasn't just like, I'll pass. It was like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to, there's an expression on my face of just like, what, what is that? Like, you want to put a tick on me? Uh-huh. Kind of something like that. Uh-huh. Why would I want a tick on me? Like that's gross. Or not, uh-huh. It's not gross. It's, um, it feels like a parasite. Uh, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like I feel when I see people not picking up after their dog in the park. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But actually, that's an interesting example because I just pick it up myself now because it wounds me to feel like that. So I don't, I choose not to kind of go down that path that much. I get your point. And I, and I do notice a lot of things now that I didn't notice before, but I'm also noticing like I'm going to, I'm going to, shift gears slightly, but to make my point. So as you know, I'm deeply passionate about rhino conservation. Mm -hmm. And as you also know, three rhinos a day are killed because people want to sell their horns and people want to consume their horns and people want to show off by having a horn. And for months, 
I was completely paralyzed by my fury about the people who do that. The poachers, the, the, the poachers, people who use it. The poachers, the buyers, the traffickers, all of them. I hated them all with like deep, deep hate. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it was poisoning me because I couldn't act from that place of hate. Mm-hmm. And gradually I learned more and more about the people who were doing those things. And gradually a space of compassion opened in me that now makes me able to act in a way that I couldn't act before. And what I'm finding tentatively is that until I can find a a place of compassion for people who are doing things that I don't agree with, I can't can't move with integrity. And it's a dance because it doesn't mean I agree, clearly. And it's not comfortable, clearly. But I'm convinced that until I found the place in me that can connect with the place in them that's just doing the best they can. We're all just doing the best we can. There's no way for me to go. I can still educate. I can still share. I can still connect. But anger doesn't serve me. So when I feel it, I just take it as a sign that human, you know, I'm still, I'm still broken there. And that's okay. But I know that that's not a place for me to act from. So I'm feeling a little bit the same in this space. So when I see people, you know, drinking from water bottles and throwing them in the bin, mm. I'm really not happy. But I don't have the same level of anger and frustration that I used to have because it hurts me. First, thank you for sharing. And that tells me, you said it's uncomfortable. And it feels to me, that feels like an understatement because compassion means to feel empathy and compassion. I'm not, you didn't say, you said compassion, but to feel what the other person feels and to tell me if this makes sense, if I'm getting it, they are human. You're human. They're acting on emotions that you also have. And that means there's something inside you that is something inside. There's something inside them that gets them to, kill rhinoceroses, that gets them to pay money for others to kill rhinoceroses. And there's something in you that, if you connect with it, feels that way. And that's the opposite of where you are. And yet, if you don't connect with that, you, you talked about you can't act. I think you also would be, you'd be ineffective because they would say, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm doing it for a reason. You don't know what that reason is. And you're different than me. And why should I listen to you? But to do that is one of the most deeply uncomfortable. Like, I live in the West Village. We're in Greenwich Village right now. The number of Trump voters nearby here is very low, probably. And they, the people I speak to will refuse to understand why someone will vote for him. I think it's killing their ability to get people to vote, to switch votes. But like the discomfort, the hatred, the rage is really, I think, I think it makes people feel satisfied and feel good in some ways. And it's... It's like gossip. It's a cheap thrill. It's, but it's low nutrient. Mm. It doesn't help anything. It doesn't. It, the only thing that it is is, a, is an indication. Just like when you 
put your hand on a hot stove and you feel the pain that causes you to pull your hand away. Mm. Hatred is a sign that the train of thought that you've got is going nowhere good. Back off. Mm. Settle. Reconsider. It's going to take you nowhere. And I think that none of this is to say you disagree. You have to agree with what people are doing. Mm -hmm. But the underlying premise that I choose to operate from now is we're all doing the best we can. And I, I see people, so for example, you and I have had this conversation. I work in a homeless shelter. There are guys in that shelter who are at the lowest of their low. They are in pain. They're embarrassed and uh, hopeless and frightened and confused, all sorts of emotions. I see them use gloves to, you know, not get bugs on their hands. Then I see them use the same gloves to pick something up from the floor and then, you know, kind of misunderstand the use of rubber gloves or plastic gloves. I see them... um, use plastic utensils and I see them throw away takeaway containers. And I get that from where they're sitting, not throwing away takeaway containers or not using plastic gloves because they, they're convinced that if they get a little bit sick, they're, you know, they're going to be in even more trouble. It's a difficult place for them. It's a difficult place from which to have that conversation. Now, that doesn't mean I can't find my opportunities. I can't add my own, you know, habits to that space. But I get it because I get where they're coming from in a way that I didn't before I worked there. It's one of the reasons I work there is because I get to see what it's like. I'm a white privileged woman. Good God, I live in New York City. I can do whatever I like. And I am really aware of the privilege that makes me blind to so much stuff. Increasingly, I'm aware of that privilege. And I'm trying to become more informed about how it is for other people. The Trump thing is really interesting. I I really get it. And I'm understanding a little bit more about why it it has happened. But I I understand. And I don't want to sound like I'm preachy. I I want to sound, I mean, this this is a journey of discovery for me. Because, yeah, because I want to act. And I can't act when I'm paralyzed. And hate makes me paralyzed, period. So it's kind of just a pragmatic approach in a way. This is, for me, one of, to the extent that I've gotten what you're talking about, it's, it's probably the hardest thing in my life. One of the things, I mean, in, in, a low, in a small scale, oftentimes when I'm arguing with someone, I'll feel like, okay, now I'm contemplative and thoughtful. And I think, why would I argue with someone? And yet I get into arguments. <laughs> And I can feel myself getting into the argument and feeling like, look, you don't understand. You're wrong. I'm right. If you would just listen to me, you would see that I thought of what you're thinking. And I'm past that now. And if you just listen to me, you will get to where I am. Very patronizing. And I I don't think that overtly, but if I really break it down, that's, yeah, you're smiling because I think we all feel that way. And if I really thought about it in the moment, I'd recognize the other person probably feels the same way. And because it's usually not that they feel opposite the way I feel. They're just looking at it from a different perspective. It's not like I say it should be red and they say it should be blue. It's like I say it's red and they're like trees. And that's not the opposite of my color. It's a different way of looking at it. So, And they're thinking tree versus rock. 
And I'm like blue versus red. And, and, and I call this the worst problem in the world because you're talking cross purposes. And the hardest thing in the world, when I feel right and I think they're wrong, and the only thing missing from this is them listening to me, is for me to stop and ask them and patiently listen to what I know in my head and heart is wrong. It's like the hardest thing in the world. And yet, if I do it, the outcome, then they start listening to me. But it's like the feeling inside of they're, like, they're killing me with this nonsense. And I'm going to be the one. And most of the time when it happens, they don't return the favor of them saying, of them saying sometimes they'll, they'll listen to me, but sometimes there's like, I know that they're going to switch to be like, good, Josh finally realized how wrong he was. And then that'll be the end of it. And I've, and I've lost relationships over this because I feel like I have this technique that painful as it is sometimes, not painful, it, uncomfortable as it is, again, an understatement, sometimes I'm able to do it. And as difficult as it is, it, it resolves the situation often very productively. But if I don't get it back, I feel like, oh, man, where's my compassion? Where's, the, where's someone like saying, Josh, you have troubles too. Like your life is hard. <laughs> and I don't know, but what I, I know exactly where you're going. And I, I want to say two things. The one is that for me, when in doubt, just slow down. Because when I'm agitated and like revved, I get into that space and I go nowhere. I mean, I just go round and round and I'm, you know, I'm just kind of just, you know, I'm just agitated and I don't connect. And so when I walked in here today, I said to you, I'm agitated. Why am I agitated? I don't know what I'm agitated, but I can feel that like all the molecules around me are just rushing around. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, well, let's just sit down, chat, have something to eat, have something to drink and just calm down. And I did. And I'm not agitated now. And so I'm able to operate in a different way. So for me, just calling it and, and in that case. Naming it. Yeah. Saying it. And reaching out to you and telling you I am agitated. And if that's for me the best word when I get like that. And then you saying Okay, cool, chill, shifts everything. So the first thing is, for me, it's about really, really slowing down. But the second point that I want to make is from what I saw you do when you were in a, you were practicing your TEDx talk to a group of people and you were talking about your life of no no garbage, basically, and I could see the room going WTF, How can a guy live like this? And they were, you know, peppering you with questions and provocative questions because they were uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. because you were challenging them. And I don't remember all the details, but I can tell you I remember one absolutely magnificent moment that I think everybody in that room noticed, will remember. Somebody said, but what do you do about toothpaste and deodorant? And you gave an answer about your brother being a dentist and about... Oh, yeah, I have all this extra toothbrush and toothpaste. I'm yeah. still using it up. Yeah. yeah. And then you said something about the deodorant that you use that doesn't have a packaging thingy. But then very quickly, you shifted the conversation and you said, it's not about toothpaste and deodorant. Let's talk about takeaway. 
home delivery and takeaway. How many of you in this room have had home delivery or takeaway in the last week? And everybody put up their hand. So what I think was interesting, and you said, that's the problem. Don't talk to me about deodorant and toothpaste. What was interesting for me is you kind of, it was like a ninja move, you know? You took the energy that came from the kind of curiosity around your hygiene, answered it, and then took that momentum and gave it back to them in the, play, in the form of a provocation about habits that you know they have because they're New Yorkers. And I would love you to do a follow-up with that group because I would be absolutely stunned if the people in that room hadn't reduced their level of takeaway. Well, I'd be curious too. So I think that that's a important, you know, an important example of how you heard them, you answered them, you paid them the respect of answering them. You didn't say that's a stupid question. You heard them and then you gave it back with a gentle but powerful provocation. And I think it helps. I think it's what works. Increasingly, I'm finding that the, what's, what's missing in environmental action is all these things of leadership. It's stories, images, what else? Anecdotes, emotions, and not just emotion. Like I was talking to someone earlier today and they're like, oh yeah, emotions. Everyone cares about food. So blah, blah. And I was like, until someone says, I care about food in this way, if you just say you care about food, therefore you should eat less meat or something, then they're not going to, that's not, that's just you telling them what to, it's got to come from the other person. Well, well, yes and no. I don't think it's about, I don't think it's a rule book. But what I think is that whenever it's at a philosophical level, you're screwed. Yeah, totally. So it, everything, you and them, you're just comparing realities, philosophical realities. As soon as we get down to, and my favorite expression, which I learned from Michael Neal, one of my favorite podcasters in the world, is what would happen if a video camera were following me around? What are you actually doing? What are you actually doing with your life? Don't tell me I'm a this or I'm a that or I just did it. If I were following you around with a video camera, tell me about your life. Show me. Tell me what would I see. That's the point of power. That's the point of power. And the point, you know, since you and I have met, I mean, I still use packaged foods, but let me tell you, every single bloody package that I throw in the bin, I think about. And I didn't used to. So if you were to follow me around with a video camera, you would watch me throwing away things. Before. You, and now. Mm-hmm. I throw away things before I left my house today. Mm-hmm. But you would watch me throw away less. And I am aware that I'm doing that because I'm kind of got the video camera in my head. So the question of if, when I choose not to ever throw away a package thing again, I don't know. But what I know is that I, I'm seeing it in a way that I didn't see it before. And that's, that's the conversation that matters, I think. What am I actually doing? And then what do I actually do? Yeah. I, want, I have to share something that uh, one time you came over here and Someone you were with, somehow someone had gotten a bunch of soy sauce packets <laughs> yeah. and they were going to leave them there, throw them away. And somehow you got a hold of them. Oh, I'll so tell you what happened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I'll just share my part. So, yeah. so then when you left, they were still here. I was like, ah, what are they doing here? So now I had a bunch of, of them and I knew that the, these things get given away at places that with takeout sushi and so forth. 
So I stick them in my bag. So I'm carrying around these soy sauce packets for, I think it was like a couple of weeks until finally I was at a place where, and I could put them because they're sealed, you know, and they're, they're sterile and so forth. So I put them in a box and took a picture of that and sent the picture to you. That to me is fun. Yeah. People on the outside see that as like, if they're, you talked about what emotions, rage and anger, there's a lot of guilt and shame. And when people are feeling guilt and shame and they see that, they think, oh, they're telling me what to do or something like that. But for us, at least for my part, you tell me if it was otherwise, it's fun. It's like, what's a little challenge? How can we put this back into circulation so that, you know, I can't change that the, the, the plastic packets existed, but once they exist, what's the best thing I can do? Well, yeah. someone can enjoy them. Yeah, yeah. Well, how did, they, how did you get them? Oh, so I had a, an event at my house and people brought stuff and somebody brought a big tray of sushi and so people were eating sushi. And then when the people left, there was this brown bag with a whole bunch of chopsticks and those little bags. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, now I'm stuck with them. What am mm-hmm. I going to do? So I brought them here as a sort of, you know, provocation or cha- actually a question. Like, was, well, so now what would one do with this? Mm-hmm. And you showed me what you would do with that. And I think that's, you know, that's true and it's hilarious what you did. And I can certainly do that. And, I mean, the number of times that I'm at a, you know, kind of a food hall and I see people with like a handful of salt and pepper things that they took from the big bowl and then I, and they just get up and leave their tray behind and I walk over and take those little packets and go back to the salt and pepper pile and I, you know, sort them out. It's hilarious. It's the same hilarious as stealing people's leftover meat from their plates to take home to my dog. It's funny. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yeah, I think you're right. If you can make it like a little adventure. And I do think you raise another important point, which is community. You said it at the beginning. I mean, in a way that wouldn't have been fun if you hadn't been able to take a photo and send it to me. And for me to think it's hilarious because you kind of shared that moment. So if you come back to the question of building intimacy and relationship, the same building of the same silly little conversations that people have with each other about gossip or fashion. Mm. Well, let's just substitute what you do with the soy sauce containers. There are little moments of human connection. A little hilarious photograph pops up on my, on my phone. Mm. Hey, I sent you back a thumbs up emoji. Move on. But in that moment, you and I strengthened our friendship just a little bit. And so the question is, how do we kind of substitute one kind of content for another in the intimacy that my sister brings me a dress that she didn't like that was an intimacy that I might have built by having her and I go shopping together for a new dress different different subject matter or different you know shape of conversation but increased connection that's why I don't miss flying because you the opportunity for connection is just as great. It's no less. That flying isn't, doesn't create opportunity. It doesn't create more time with people. Don't you fly, Josh? I, I, I mean, again, <laughs> it's been a while. I'm sorry. And now I've been invited to speak at a whole series of talks. And now I've been invited to give, to give a whole series of talks in Europe in the spring and summer. So I'm really working on getting, a, getting a, 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 to sail over. Because if I, yeah, if I'm there for a few months, if I, if I were to go for a few months, then if I were to sail or fly divided by a few months, it's basically the same transit time. Very little, except one is a life experience. We'll see if it works out. I don't know. There's like a lot, a million things that have to happen for it to work. 
there's a whole lot of things I want to ask you, but I, I really want to ask about the TED Talk because, and, and, and if you've been, oh, you've been talking about it all the time for a while. Maybe it's not, maybe you're tired of it. But um, okay, so now you're going to be going to be on a huge stage. As of today, we're at like six hundred thousand, maybe seven hundred thousand views. On a, and it's like it's only been a little while open, so it's like a lot of views. You knew that there would be a lot of views. You knew a lot of people would be seeing you. Maybe you didn't. I don't know. But how did you feel about what you're going to wear? Well, actually, this is really this is really hilarious, and I think it's a really important. Uh, it was another point. So my twenty-five-year-old godson lives with me, Sam. And uh, I, a friend, another friend of mine and he were sitting in the living room and I had been thinking a lot about what was I going to do about the clothes because I would, in the old days, I would have bought a new outfit for a TED Talk. I mean, I didn't know how many people were going to watch, but, you know, a new dress is the kind of thing that people would have done before or I would have done before. But I'd made that commitment to you. So I was apparently going to do a TED Talk in clothes that I already had. So I went into my cupboard and I found what looked like the smartest, most sort of, you know, elegant professional clothes that I had. And I walked out and I said to my friend and to Sam, what do you think of the clothes that I'm going to wear for the TED Talk? And my friend said, it's very nice. It looks nice. Sam said, what else you got? (laughs) And I said, um, oh, no, this is, I think this is really good. And he said, well, it looks a bit 90s. And I guess he was right. But then he asked me a really important question. He said, what is your favorite shirt? And I told him my favorite shirt. And I told him the problem with that is that it had one little, like, stud missing from it. It was like a, it had little buttons on it. And he said, mm-hmm. And he said, what are your favorite trousers? And I said, well, you know, my jeans, I wear those jeans all the time. And he said, mm-hmm. and what are your favorite shoes? And I said, well, I really like those boots with the little um, sort of sparkly toes, but they're like old, you know, five or six years old. So he said, put all of those on. Mm-hmm. So I went back into my bedroom. I put he's them. in fashion? Or he, no. He's, he's just, just a guy. Yeah, yeah he's uh-huh. just a guy. He's, he's a guy with good, good fashion taste. And so I walked out wearing my favorite jeans, my black shirt that's got a few little buttony things missing, and my favorite boots. And he said, why don't you wear that? And my friend, Nina, who's much more kind of conservative like me, she was like, well, you know, it's kind of casual. And so I thought, okay, well, I've got these two opinions. I'll let that sit because my was tending towards her. Uh, But then I thought I'd let that sit. And then I woke up in the morning. I slept on it, which is what I do these days. I woke up in the morning and I thought, hell yeah, those are my favourite clothes. They're not fancy they're, they're, slightly, they're very old, all three of them, but they're my faves, so I wore them. And I felt great in them. And so I flipped the concept, by the way, with some great input from a youngster who had a different perspective. Sam. Um, Sam, yeah. I flipped my, my perspective of what is the th- kind of thing that you're supposed to wear for TED Talk from something new and fancy, which would probably have been uncomfortable, to my absolute favourite clothes. So I was kind of, and I think that's a huge part of why I felt really comfortable on stage. I was wearing stuff that I wear all the time and I felt good in. So, hey, complete shift of perspective. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. 
Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. My read is that when you, and tell me if this rings true or if I'm off base or what, but when you live by your values, especially if you have to go up against resistance, then it forces you like, what do I value here? What do I value there? I really value this. And the more you do that, the more you stick with what's really important to you. The people in your life are the people that they don't have to agree with you, but they, that, I mean, some people will disagree with you, but you resonate in some way. Hmm. And eventually, as with the mastery of any skill, it stops being about the details and starts being, you just express yourself. Yes. And, but, and it's interesting. What I notice is a kind of resistance to the word values. And I'll tell you why for me is that value sounds so sort of grown up, a little bit like the word liberated, right, in my mind. And they sound solid, like I'm supposed to have them for a long time. Mm -hmm. What I'm noticing these days is that I'm less interested in that than I am in what is common sense to me when I'm settled. So coming back to this whole question of agitated versus settled, Mm -hmm. when I'm agitated, I get all I do all sorts of things because I'm agitated but when I'm settled my common sense seems to be remarkable remarkable I do wise things it's kind of like a surprise to me but it's amazingly reliable and so that notion I mean as I described to you about the clothes and everything you go oh yeah that makes sense I don't know what the values were underneath that, but what I know, and the reason that I sleep on things now, is that somehow when I wake up in the morning, my underlying wisdom is more reliable because my thoughts are settled. And I go, huh, I'm going to wear my favorite clothes. It feels right. Now, I don't know what value that is. You know, I don't know how it fits with me intellectually or philosophically. I just know it felt right. And so that's kind of what's guiding me more and more. And so the question, like, and I come back to the question of the throwing away packaging, the me that's noticing is noticing and noticing and noticing and noticing. And I know that at some point the next level of behaviour change kicks in because I seem to be quite trustworthy like my judgment's good. The calm. calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess this, this is giving you more access to that person, more motivation to access that person. Yeah. That part and, of you. Right? Yeah, yeah, and more noticing. So, you know, your point about the, uh, and I think coming back to the me teasing you about the flying thing is you have accessed a part of you or you've accessed a benefit that's come out of a decision around it intimacy and connection and choices and all that that's been really it's really impacted your life Mm -hmm. and so you're using that to make the next one and the next one and the next one you know in five years or 10 years you say well I guess there's a bunch of things that I did over time that joined up that become I guess set of values but the thing that that I've I'm finding I'm finding the word values in my head now heady do you know what I mean? Like what you were talking about before about um, 
not what people see when they have the video camera, the philosophical talk. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, it's less and less interesting to me. Just because I, it's just, it's just more words for me. And I think maybe because I'm in constant movement, you're constantly refining. And if you were to say one of the things that has been interesting for me about the TED Talk is um, it's forced me to look back for the first time in my life, really, because I've always been moving forwards at such pace. And I have changed a lot in the last 35, 40 years since I've been in business, a lot. And my values haven't underpinned that. I've listened, I've learned, I've moved, I've shifted, I've experimented. And so I don't, I don't know what I think about the values thing. And I, as I can tell, like, as I'm saying it, I'm realizing them just sound like nonsense. So I think I just pause there and say, I'm going to consider the whole values thing a little bit more. I should, I'll adjust the language too, as I ponder it. I've thought a lot about values and what that means, because it it, it's an abstract word and I think our values change. I mean, right now, if you ask me, do you value oxygen? I'd be like, yeah, but if I'm drowning, I'll shove some. I don't know if I would. I hope I wouldn't, but I probably would. People who are drowning shove another person down to keep themselves up. That would be murder under, under another circumstance. Yeah. But our values change. Now, that's an extreme case. And, but No, I think the point that you're making is a very powerful one and maybe an even wider one. And it comes back to this question of compassion for other people. People are incredibly wise. They behave the way that they behave because they see the world in a certain way. And the way that they behave is completely consistent with the world that they see. Mm. And so challenging them at the level of behavior is not helpful because if you're drowning and you get a chance to take a breath by pushing somebody under, that's a sort of a logical course of action because you think to yourself, well, it's yeah, like, them, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. They're not thinking, but it would be anyway. Yeah. And so that's kind of how humans are. So what I know, coming back to rhinos, is the poachers and the traffickers and the buyers are operating logically and wisely within the world that they see. The guy who gave you the water bottle is operating, I bet you, he thought to himself, how nice. Josh yeah. is thirsty. I'm going to give him some water. Yeah. And so that was a gesture that made complete sense to him at the time. Now, thinking to yourself, well, he's a moron and helpful, thinking to yourself, aha, uh -huh, how interesting that he thought that was a gift to me. Hmm. Now, I don't know what you might do after that. You might have a conversation with him. You might not. You might take the bottle back to the shop and tell them to keep it and give it to somebody else. You might bronze it and put it up on your wall so that you could remind yourself of your commitment. There's a lot of things you could do. But what's clear is where he was coming from, that was a gift. Where you were coming from, it was a tick. And so your challenge, one of your challenges is, how do I see people killing your rhinos as doing something in their world, probably noble. Yeah. Or pragmatic or unimportant. I mean, today, Josh, there is somebody in the restaurant here next door eating a piece of steak. Now, I think that's terrible for me. I don't want to eat the flesh of a creature. And that person is eating protein that's yummy 
that he or she can afford because he or she is in New York and wants it. And might even be what the cow is best for the cow in some way. I don't know. But the reality is that that's kind of happening around us all the time as life, right? That's what it is to be human. And, and so I, I, I just think that the more coming back to the question of I feel like I'm sort of sounding like I'm trying to be really um, noble and I'm not. It just I'm actually being self-protective because I find ease and peace in seeing that it's different for everybody. I want to change tax a little bit and because I, 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 we're going to continue this conversation, I'm sure, over the course of our relationship. Uh, maybe capture on recordings and sometimes too. Based on, I've asked this sometimes in a second conversation, but it sounds like you enjoyed this experience. It grew from it, learned from it. And I wonder if you'd be interested in taking on another challenge. Hmm. Um, yeah, probably not one comes to mind. Uh, that's a really good question. So let me think about it. Do you have one in mind? I, I try not to suggest them okay. suggest them to people because okay. when it comes from the person, but you secretly have one that you'd like me to take on. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I found is that the more that I suggest, if the less that I suggest it, the more that they come back to me about how they like it. So, and if I suggest it, it feels like I oftentimes if I suggest it, then I get pushed back. Okay. Well, but what about this? Do you want to go back and forth a couple times to see if anything pops out? Because usually. Talking about Well, let's just put it to one side and let's talk about something else and then let's see what my subconscious pops up. Okay. How did the TEDx talk? Did people comment on what you wore? A lot of people did, actually, and said they loved the jeans and somebody wrote they loved the boots. Mm-hmm. A lot of people said I looked happy and relaxed, you know, people who knew me. I mean, people who don't know me didn't comment particularly. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was cool. As there's certainly nobody said, I thought you wore inappropriate <laughs> clothing. Um, and in fact, I think it turned out to be a good contrast from the pink suit, which is kind of what I talk about at the beginning of the talk. So, <laughs> so were, I mean, were you surprised? Were you like, of course, at the, at the reactions that you got? You mean to the talk in general or to my clothes? To the clothes. Uh, no, I actually, I didn't care. And I think that's what's really important is once I decided that I was wearing that, I didn't care what I was, I didn't care what anybody thought. How long before that, that, the interaction with Sam and the, and the sleeping on it, when was that relevant relative to the event? A few weeks because, of course, I had to go to, to, to Mumbai. So it was I, a few weeks before. Yeah, and I took, I took the other outfit with me just in case. Oh. Um, but, yeah. If it was only a few weeks before, that means you'd, you'd been working a lot on the talk before well, that. Sure. And I guess that was culminating a lot from your life, so it wasn't just like starting from scratch. Yeah. How did it? affect you your preparation it's kind of hard because you can't like imagine another world but or you can imagine it, but you can't actually experience it but how did it affect your preparation knowing what you were going to wear for why you were going to wear it versus had you gone with had you gone shopping for something new or used the the dress that you were talking about i no i uh i noticed with kind of vague curiosity that i would quote normally have bought something new and i thought oh Apparently, I'm not going to be able to do that this year. A few people said, oh, I'm sure Josh wouldn't mind if you, Hmm. you know, broke it for this special occasion. A few other people said, oh, I could buy you something. And then that technically wouldn't be you buying it. Oh, it's so much Which is hilarious. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, no, okay, let's just see what emerges. 
And then I put it out of my mind, which is a little bit what I'm doing now about to challenge. Again, it coming back to the settling my thinking. More and more I'm realizing that overthinking things doesn't help me. I just put things to, my, to one side and then the right thing pops up at the right time. And maybe at the end of this conversation I'll have another challenge and maybe I won't. It doesn't matter. And have you gotten feedback from others who have gone through? You said no one's come back to you and said um, that they cracked or something like that. You don't sound like you would crack. It sounds like cracking implies a resistance, but I don't feel a resistance. I feel like now you're just like, this is who I am. Yeah, and I, 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 like I said, I, I mean, I don't think that. So now, I mean, it's not like, oh, phew, the 5th of December's come by. Now I can go and buy things. Um, no, I mean, the reality is in the years to come, occasionally I think I'm going to need something. Mm-hmm. And then I guess I'll buy it. But I don't feel any desire to buy anything. And, uh, I mean, I think if we would have this conversation next year on the 5th of December, you'd probably find that I've bought, I don't know, I think I do probably need some underwear. <laughs> but but it, even then, not, nothing too serious. I'm now in the sort of like, hey, how long can I go before they completely fall apart? Well, that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all fine. I mean, it doesn't matter. And so I'm kind of, now I'm curious, maybe how long could I go? Maybe for the rest of my life without clothes, without buying new clothes. Mm-hmm. That'd be fine. No, that, in fact, that could be it. Let me go another, I don't know, rest of my life without buying any clothes. I don't know. It's, it's not inconceivable. How did it feel when I showed you that jacket that I, that I got from the thrift store? I thought, oh, cool. He likes the jacket. That's great. Mm-hmm. I thought it was hilarious. It was Dolce & Gabbana. Like uh-huh. I said, you don't seem like a Dolce & Gabbana kind of a guy. But I saw, how, <laughs> I saw how happy you were that, um, that it was from a thrift store and it was so cheap. And I, get, and I got it. I get it because, you know, those kinds of things have brought me joy before, but I can't imagine it now. I mean, the other thing that's very interesting for me on the clothing thing is, over the years, I've changed weight a lot. I've kind of got thinner and fatter, as many women do. And the other sort of implication of making a call like this is you're effectively making a decision to not change your weight, mm-hmm. which is interesting too. So I've actually lost a bit of weight since we last talked. And so there's a few clothes that I need to have taken in. But I'm going to be in big trouble if I put on 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. This is the end of that commitment. Well, it's not the end of that commitment, but things can start to look a bit ugly. So I actually <laughs> think there's some interesting kind of corollaries to such a commitment is, you know, I'm making a commitment to stay fit and healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that relieving or is that? Uh... No, it's fun. It's, 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 again, it's interesting. It's kind of neutral and curious. So I'm more and more just curious about it. Mm-hmm. It's like, and I mean, let's assume I did put on 10 pounds and I have to go to people who are a little bit porkier than me and say, can I have some of your clothes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> people keep coming to me and saying like, hey, check it out. I went this long without garbage or something like that. Or, but a lot of times they'll say to me, sorry, I got this package thing. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? I mean, I kind of have a sense of it. But I think that they feel like there's judgment. And I don't, when I showed you the jacket, I don't think you were judging me, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. But there's probably some automatic evaluation going on in your head. Like, would I do that? Would I, would I not do that? Something like that. I'm trying to figure out how do I communicate to people that I'm not, well, how do I put it? I think that we all automatically have some sort of judgment. I think we all have stuff that we care about more than others. And, and there's some things that I think are good and you think are bad and things that you think are good and I think are bad. Some things that I like you don't and so forth. And so there's an, I think there's an automatic 
If you give me a mango and I take a bite of it and it's delicious, I can't help myself from feeling that's a delicious mango. I can't decide to be like that mango tastes terrible if it really tastes delicious. And so if, if someone does something that I would not do, I think to myself, I wouldn't do that. That to me is automatic. How you, what you do about it is, is the issue. But I think people are constantly like thinking that I'm judging them all over the place. And I'm no more nor less than any other person is. And so the question is? How do I get them? How do I stop? What I feel is effective is to support people, which I try to do. A friend of mine got on a flight today to China on our way to India. And I was like, I wish her a safe flight. I didn't know what else to say. Like, and uh, I have a feeling that she felt like Josh is judging me. And I don't know how, do you see this friction? Well, I, I do, and I also don't. I mean, I, you know, one of my fave people uh, in the world is Byron Katie, and I don't know if you know Byron Katie, but she mm-hmm. she, has, she writes good stuff. She has good podcast, and she says, "There's my business, there's your business, and there's God's business." And frankly, what do you think of me? It's clearly not my business. It's your business, and it's God's business. And I kind of like that. So. I haven't got time to second guess what you think about me. And of course, I'm human. I do sometimes. But at some level, it's clear that I can't control what you think about me. And the reality is that most of the time you're not thinking about me because you're too busy thinking about you because you're human. That's what people do. So, you know, it's like one of those wags, I don't remember, one of the wits and people who have good quotes said, I would have been, you know, more relaxed about what people think about me if I had realized that people never did. Mm. I mean, people don't think about us. They're too busy thinking about themselves. So it doesn't really matter what, you know. So I I get it. And, of course, your lifestyle is confronting for some people. It's not your business. Mm. And there are times when, I mean, when I went on my trip to South Africa, I thought to myself, oh, Josh isn't going to be happy with this. And I went anyway. And... Mm. It's not your business what I think about it, not my business what you think about it. But you've done your job because you've provoked me to think about it. That's your job. And your job to support me when I take on a challenge, that's your job. But to control what I think, I can't even control what I think, so why would I be able to control what you think? Do you know what I mean? So I think it's uh, cool. And the reality is that you are your lifestyle is provocative to people. I mean, I saw that in that room when you talked about your lifestyle. I saw people, some people were terrified looking at you thinking, oh, my God, what would I do if I lived like him? That's cool. That was your job. You said what you said. And who knows what? Yeah, now I want to talk to that group again. Huh? Now I want to talk to that group again. I mean, I, I did before and I do even more now. Well, why not? I mean, say why not? Let's do it. Well, right, let's, let's do it. it. I mean, let's well, let's go there right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> like get those a few blocks of together. Here. Yeah, it's cool. I think it's a good idea um, because I think that you have much more an impact than you realize. And also, now that I've given that TEDx talk and, and given it again as a keynote, and then like it, it's this is a huge journey of of learning myself. Like the biggest part of it, now the biggest part at the beginning was like what what changes happen to me. What when I act how I want to, when I'm calm, then what happens? Because when I'm not calm, I want things that when I'm calm, I say, do I really? Maybe not. And then I'm stuck. That was before. Now it's, I've chosen to take on a responsibility that the science says we got 10 years to be done 
changing, not to start changing, to be done changing. And lately I've been very influenced by uh, Alan Weissman's books, uh, The World Without Us and Countdown, uh, or was it Collapse? Countdown. And in particular, these found, well, population has been a huge thing for me. And I I think I've spoken to you about. Sure. About. And I see your podcast has been full of it. Yeah. Well, and now I'm emailing with him. So probably by the time this airs, I will have interviewed him also. And um, not interviewed, had a conversation with him. And I'll interview too, because he found out a lot of things in particular, that there were, there are lots of places that have lowered their population growth, having fun. Thailand is like, it's like all, they're all fun about like condoms and, and education about family planning and things like that. And the result has been prosperity and abundance for people and not forced abortions and tearing down people's homes when the rules are broken. And that gives me huge hope because everything that I understand shows that the greater the population, the less chance we have, the lower the population. And if we can lower the population through joy and fun and playing with condoms, <laughs> it's like, that gives me huge hope. Uh, anyway, this is just to say that it's, for me, the journey, the, the, where I'm in it now is how to influence others so that they really, so it really connects. So the people are like, I love it. That's where I'm now. I forget what got me onto that. Um, we were talking about your role in this game. And the role, your role in this game is to provoke and nudge and, uh, and, and challenge and at some level to be unattached to the impact you have. I'm, I'm going to refine that. To, it's to bring joy, to, to bring people along, to, to challenge, yes, but to, to recognize it on the other side of the challenge is, oh, I wish I'd done this before. Oh, what was I thinking? Now, I'm so glad to do this. Who else can I bring? Who are the important people in my life yeah. so that I can get them in this too? Yeah. If that spreads, joy, yeah. not compliance. I mean, you know, you need some management along with the leadership. So maybe some compliance, but really sparking joy and sparking. Oh, now I sound like Maria Kondo. Uh, but really, you won't believe like all that stuff, all that whatever, you know, oh, you thought that you really enjoyed, I don't know, drag racing. Well, it turns out you're going to really love riding your bike instead. Yeah. That's what I hope to spread. That's where I, that's, that's like, what's, how can I make that? How can I get people to feel like, oh man, this is, this is what it's, this is what life is about. That was all those distractions. Man, thank God they're out of the way. Any distractions come to mind for you? We, we were pausing to see if anything popped into your head. It's only been a couple of minutes. No, I mean, I'll definitely carry on with the clothing thing, uh, you know, largely. But nothing else spontaneously comes to mind. But, um, you know, we'll see. Right, now, most people, on the first time I do it, I always go back and forth a bit because if I go back and forth a bit, something always pops out. But um, you've already done one, and I feel like if I... And we're in touch. Hmm. So I feel like if I say, all right, get back to me if something comes up. If nothing comes up, nothing comes up. Yep. Then if something... I predict something will come up. Yeah, and then you can put it in the, in the intro. intro. Okay. Well, uh, this, we've already talked a long time. We could easily, if, if, if no other obligations existed, I'm sure we could go on for another year or two of this, <laughs> just this conversation. <laughs> anything I didn't think to ask that you wanted to say or anything to say no. directly to the listeners? No, I just want to say thanks so much for doing what you do. I connect you with lots of people because I think you add enormous value and it's fun to be part of this journey with you. Thank you. I will say you're welcome because you said thank you just to be polite, but I, I thank you more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's compete. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
<laughs> I, I'm glad you saw the humor that I intended to get in there. <laughs> okay. I, I thank you just the same. <laughs> Lorna Davis, thank you very much. Thanks, Josh. There's not a whole lot that I can add from the genuine and authentic sharing that I heard from her. I'll add a few details. We didn't talk about the people, the specifics of the people who followed her and their level of accomplishment and positions and authority, which is high. So there are all these executives and heads of businesses forming a fun, relieved community, not buying clothes. And she tells me about them periodically. I'm amazed at the connections that she has and how much fun they're having. She's been changing her life since before I met her and decided to go without buying clothes for a year. But the challenge is accessible to anyone. Of course, each person will do it differently. Maybe it's clothes for one person. For you, it might be something different than clothing, but something else. But the results are available to everyone. And I hope that you get to find the relief from compulsion and resulting intimacy or whatever your equivalent is. Saving money, saving time, connecting with family, having more fun. I'm not sure what it will be for you, but I predict that you'll like it. I'd love to hear how it goes. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.